Ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons, welcome back to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined as always by my co-host Scott of VectorSigma.info. How are you doing tonight, Scott? Good. Awesome. So we have a different show for you, or at least different from what we've been doing for what feels like forever now, and that's we don't have new card reveals, although we are going to be talking about new cards eventually. There's a few different news items, as you can see on the topic list on screen. We'll run through them real quick, just to give everybody an idea what we're going to be going over and then dive into each of them. So there's some news about Omega Supreme. Uh, There's a bunch of upcoming tournament news, both, I don't want to, I guess, larger as well as local. We got our rules round up, and then we want to close, well, not close the show, but the, the meat of the show is going to be our top five list of what we're excited about from the new wave, which is releasing at the time of this recording tomorrow, although a few people I've heard have gotten cards ahead of time. Yes. A few people. Uh, and then we actually have some listener questions that we wanted to touch base on at the end of the show. So first thing up is more of a PSA, it sounds like, and myself included, uh, few people have gotten emails from Luke Crate, and it sounds as though, unfortunately, Omega Supreme or the Luke Crate that contains him is a little delayed. There's a few people on Facebook and other places saying they already got it. Scott, did you even order him, or were you waiting for more information to decide if you really wanted to try and track him down? No, I ordered it right away, because... I'm just that kind of person, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I did the same, so I guess we're in the same boat. Uh, so did you also get a delay notice, or is yours looking like it's going to be on time? No, I got the delay notice as well. So the, I did not, I don't recall there being a indication of when it's going to be. Presumably it won't be that long, but it just, it gives us more time to digest the other parts of Wave 2, which is kind of cool. I guess, I guess... My only concern is, uh, having never done something like this, like, I think I had until, like, March 5th, I think, to actually cancel the ongoing subscription. Like, can I still do that if I haven't gotten the loot crate yet? Like, how's that work? Do you have any idea? No, this is the first one that I'm doing as well. I mean, I've been aware of loot crate, you know, not even just loot crate, but the the premise of it, because there's a bunch of different vendors that do it, and... I'm not really sure, to be perfectly honest, so I guess we're going to find out. I'm sure their customer service department has dealt with this sort of thing before, so we'll play it by ear, I guess. Yeah. So That's my only concern. Yeah, we'll, I'm sure it'll end up working out, and I can't imagine, like I said, that this is an unknown scenario, so we'll see right. how it goes. Uh, moving on from there, two and three are kind of lumped together, so we... Found out recently, actually, Scott, I think you were one of the first people to notice it and post it, at least into the various Facebook groups, that TFCon, one of the largest Transformers toy collection or uh, conventions for collectors, is what I was trying to say and stumbling over it, is going to be hosting Transformers TCG tournaments, which is cool for a number of reasons. Not just that, well, hey, there's more stuff running it, but also that it's at these sort of events. I know... There's been a lot of anxiety about organized play or tournament series or circuits or whatever, and it's cool to see other events and conventions and other groups picking things up. Um, were, were you really excited about this, Scott? Does this entice you to try and go to TFCon if you weren't already? I mean, not at this point. It's just too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think. I mean, I think what excites me about it is that there is a 
what is mostly a, a, a toy collector audience being introduced to and having the ability to play the game in a more open fashion, I guess, from what I heard from what there was in, at other conventions. I think there was one in like somewhere else and, and it was like a smaller play area. So this is a much bigger area. Right. Uh, from what I've been told. Um, I just like the fact that they were actually, you know, having events. They put it on their Facebook page and they put it on their Twitter that they were doing all this. Um, but to be honest with you, like the the events that were posted would not entice me to fly across the country to do it. Right. Um, right. But, I, I mean, if I was going already, it'd be a different story. Right. TFCon is a convention. I've only been to local, a single local uh Transformers collectors convention. So it was just, you know, a local hotel kind of thing, not one of the larger ones. Although obviously you and I have been to a number of larger and smaller gaming focused conventions. So I'm very curious to see how this shapes up, what the word is from it. Did everybody enjoy it so much? They're, they're, you know, scrambling for more or how does it shape up? Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to reports from there. If anybody out there listening or watching goes and is able to be there, definitely hit us up with feedback. Let us know. I'm very curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, I actually reached out to a local toy uh, gaming toy convention and, and, and asked them about it as well. Awesome. Um, and they weren't really aware that the game existed. So like, <laughs> they were a little hesitant and like, because of how much space it would likely take up yeah. to have an event like that. But, I mean, I guess it, this isn't until later this year, so it's like everything to report. But, like, um, so maybe if they start to hear more about it, I can reach back out to them again. So I, I'm glad that that, that that type of audience at least could exist. So Exactly. It's definitely good news that there's other places hosting things. So Yep. Again, if anybody goes to it or if you're going to another convention, maybe mention it to if you're in that position to bring it up or if you can host something. It's good to get more eyeballs on the game, especially because I would imagine Transformers fans are going to be interested in this as well. <laughs> There's just too many things aside from Transformers, just the general collecting that will draw people in. So kind of segueing from there. You had mentioned you were talking to a local convention, but there's also a number of local events to us that we wanted to give a shout out to. Did you want to talk a little bit about those, Scott? Yeah, so we, um, I won't say solely because of our efforts, but a lot, I think, because of uh, team members' efforts, there's been a uh, um, a, a desire to have more, more events locally, especially in, I guess I would say, more of the what is it like what, what, more west of the Philadelphia area? I would say like, it's still like, in my opinion, considered the greater Philadelphia area, but more of like the Harrisburg type area. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of stores there that we're, we've been reaching out to. So, um, there's another case event on March 9th at the, uh, adventurers guild in Harrisburg. Yep. Uh, and then there is our, what is now going to be the monthly, uh, top deck games wave two release constructed event uh on uh march 16th which isn't exactly a month uh from the last time we had the uh, close of wave one event mm -hmm. um the the event at the ninth is also uh you know uh wave two will also be legal there as well right there was one other i believe showcase is also announced that they're going to be running one at the end of the month on the 30th if i recall oh, yeah. correctly yes yeah. as well yep 
Yeah, so I just want to give all those events a shout out. The usual spiel still applies. If you want to play, talk to your local stores because they need to know that there's an interest in order to try and organize things. Or feel free to you know take up the banner yourself, whether it happens to be a red flag or a purple flag. Uh, <laughs> try and plant that flag and start an event if you feel so inclined. So, yeah. oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Scott. No, 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 no. So one other thing that is not on the news list that was, we're going to make a last second addition. Scott, you had mentioned that we actually got confirmation recently that that odd looking promo is legitimate. Yeah, it's a, um, there's, there's a, it's actually simplified Chinese. So there's a simplified Chinese, um, I think it's actually a gold bug technically than a bumblebee, but I'm not positive as to how it actually translates Okay, to sell, to celebrate, um, what I believe is like the lunar new year, um, right. because of when it's coming out, I think it's coming out tomorrow or something like that, um, which is around that time. If I can trust my gotcha game schedules as to when <laughs> <laughs> the people are out of the office, I assume it's tomorrow. Right, um, right. And I think Drew said that, uh, it was to celebrate the, the game releasing in, the Asia Pacific area. So, oh, that's cool. um, yeah, so he confirmed on Facebook that it was a promo card for there. I mean, we can, the card is pretty unplayable. Like, it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's part um, of the reason why I didn't pull it down. I didn't know how much we'd yeah. have to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like, it's basically a worse prowl for two more stars. So I don't, I don't see it very playable. I guess one comment that people made was about, um, you know, it's a continued issue of a limited edition cards and, and them not being reprinted in other ways to get them. Mm -hmm. And I guess my response would be like, to me personally, this has been happening ever since um, Magic the Gathering put out cards that you needed to buy a, a fictional novel in order to send in a certificate <laughs> and get them that way. I still have those. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, one Arena of them and uh, Whispering Woods, those were books near and dear to my younger self. <laughs> yeah, so like, one of them was extremely playable at the time, for example, So like, and, and really shot up in value, so I can understand. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was available, that was a little more mass market, but to me, like, and I know like in Pokemon this happens a lot. Yeah. Um, in the Pokemon card game, like I know like, I, I know they got reprinted later from what I understand, but like the birthday Pikachu and like the surfing Pikachu. I remember when I was younger, yeah. like they were, they were like hard to get and stuff. So to me, this is not unique in the trading card game world for right. there to be, um, especially foreign language promos. Um, I personally like playing with, especially um, Asian language cards personally. Like, so if I can get my hands on some Asian language um, battle cards and, and characters, I'll be very interested in getting those. Right. So anybody listening from that area, please reach out to me if you're able to get those. <laughs> uh, because I, I, I used to, I, whenever I have the opportunity, like I, I have uh, Asian language wild cards that I used to use um, and things like that and, and magic cards and things like that. So I, I, I'm really into that because I just think it looks cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, I think it's just, I think there's people that like to be completionists, and I think especially in a game like this that appeals to a collecting-type audience to begin with, I can understand some people's concern about not being able to get the card. Right. But, but on the flip side, it's not very playable, so don't worry about it. Yeah, in this particular case, you do kind of luck out on that end. I, I agree with you on the completionist end. It is... 
while I agree, because I haven't been playing as long as you have card games in general, but pretty long and relatively close behind you. Uh, and while I agree it is present and has been present for, you know, almost the entirety of TCG and CCG history, it still isn't in a great feeling. I would feel a lot better if it was these promos were just alternate arts or foils that wouldn't normally be foils. Obviously, character cards have the foil side, but, you know, it, full art or something like that where it's functionally, if you really wanted this card, you can play the uglier version, I guess is the way I'm going to put it. No, I mean, I agree. And if, if we harken back to our original interview that we had with Drew at, at PAX Unplugged, we basically said the same thing. Like, if there yeah. were promos that were present in toys and things like that, like, we'd rather have them be alternate versions. Yeah. Or something. And I get that. Like, I mean, we, you can make the same argument for the loot crate. I mean, you can make the same argument with the slipstream and cliff jumper as well. Right. Uh, I agree. Which I think pe- people try to make on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> but, you know. I guess what I can say is if, if you ever, from a collecting perspective, like, I mean, I saw an article today that, you know, a Black Lotus went for a hundred and something thousand dollars or something ridiculous like that. So, I mean, like, <laughs> it's not that it's not going to be that type of thing. Like, I mean, if, if you want a card, it's always going to be available to you on a secondary market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I might just get one of these because I think it's cool. But, like, I mean, it, for a lot of games, these exist and... Um, there's always going to be ways to get them, and a lot of them have been region specific in the past. So this is this yeah. to me is nothing new, and, and I know, I mean, I'm sure you know, like it, it definitely goes on in the Transformers toy community, right? Like there's got to be there's exclusive toys to like certain conventions and things like that, right? Yeah, I mean, and it, nothing they new do. In that now the, it's funny because of the crossover with the collecting that the scope of depending on the game you play, it could be a couple hundred bucks for building a certain deck or a couple hundred bucks could get you multiple decks depending on depending on the game then you have certain transformers that are pushing multiple hundred dollars themselves you know it, it's <laughs> i think a, a lot of people if you take a step back when they think about these sort of things that yes this happens just about everywhere it's not exclusive to card games or toys or anything else there's always i mean even if my wife and i go to a baseball game they're giving away some tchotchke thing to get you in the door right so it's now those things are you know generally you know they're they're mostly worthless but every once in a blue moon maybe one of those things is a a bobblehead of a popular player or something you know you never know where there's always that sort of thing that argument i think will always exist understandably companies are going to want to lean into that because it does create hype it does create demand you just i have faith that the way they've handled things so far that it's not going to be absurd i think yeah i I just think that this harkens to a collecting mentality which i think is being pushed especially from the hasbro side of things because i I think that seems to be the way that they like to do things and like to establish Mm -hmm. value in the rarity of certain things so i mean um might be a little off topic but like you know that i think that's why you see these like loot crates exclusive packs things like that that just go on i'm sure it's part of it yeah you know that's just i think that's just the way they operate so and it's also you know i mean the other one of the other pieces of it is going to be just hitting the other markets where is so like loot crate would be 
there might as strange as it may seem there may be a number of people that that is their primary interaction they just like the idea of transformers but maybe not be into it enough that they would know there's a card game and therefore this would expose them to it just because they said oh well i kind of like transformers i'll subscribe this month oh what's this you know and then that's their gateway uh that kind of veers a little bit off when you're talking about this particular promo but <laughs> I'm sure there, there's yeah. some other parts of it that their marketing department determined this is going to be a net positive or they wouldn't be doing it. Correct. So uh, moving on from that promo, which again was not on the original topic list, but it was something that was worthwhile bringing up. Uh, number four on our list was the recent rules roundup, which <laughs> only came out a few hours before the recording. So both Scott and I were desperately trying to digest everything. There was actually, this iteration had a lot of interesting rulings overall. And I, Scott and I were saying before the recording that for me, at least every time that a new ruling comes out, even if it's an obvious one, especially obvious when you reread the cards, because there were some that I even said in our offline chat that, oh, well, this one didn't make sense to me. Then I reread the cards. It's like, oh, well, that's obvious. I should have thought of that before. And the reason I bring it up is that it helps provide context to what Wizards is doing, how they're designing things. You're really starting to get the skeleton or maybe some meat on the skeleton for what a comprehensive rule book would look like as far as phases and priorities and triggers and things along those lines. But I guess to turn it over to you, Scott, it, what rulings jumped out to you? Were there any that really mattered to you that you think people are going to have to be conscious of in a week or a month from now? Uh, one of them was one I asked. So I asked about the, again, I, if you, there's two episodes ago where we talked about um, Dreadwing and I Still Function, thinking yep. that it worked one way and that was reversed. Then the next episode, when they made the ruling that it did not work the way we thought it did. Right. Um, so I asked if that was then the case for any combiner would, if you, I still function back any piece of the combiner and then, you know, merge through the Enigma, uh, you know, through a ability to play an extra action type uh, situation would, you know, how would that occur? Uh, and the answer is like, would it just lose a body part? Like, no, the, the answer is the entire uh, combiner dies. So you lose, essentially. <laughs> yeah, uh, barring some weird. I mean, they somebody asked the last time or the time before about double volcanicus and stuff, and uh, I guess if something like that happens, yeah, I guess if you're if it's not you're somehow your original combiner in some way, shape, or form. So I think that's the only way you can do that. But right, um, or I guess like technically, if you know Dreadwing dies, you could, you still have nine stars worth of stuff to do. So also true. That's also that situation, but. Um, so yeah, like if you, if you combine, if you use I still function and the Enigma the same turn on one of the, like the 25 star combiners or one of the Sentinels or something like that, like the whole combiner will have to be destroyed in a turn. So the point is I still function does not put on a state based effect on the, on the character card, um, which then gets removed when either it does put a state based effect and it does not get removed because technically the limb of the combiner that you're forming is still the same actual character. Mm. So that could be one part of the ruling, or I still think it does not put a state-based effect on the actual card itself. Um, so it's there regardless 
Um, it's not a like if the if somehow there was a card that allowed a, a character card to like phase out or something like that, like it would not fall off in that situation then either. So you're saying if we ever hypothetically get something that turns Megatron into Galvatron. <laughs> yeah. Something or something that like right, like it would still not like it would still be the same original character, assuming it's not a state based effect. It's a right permanent effect that gets put like a quote unquote permanent effect that gets put on the card to end a turn. So Yeah. And that I think that is probably the most important one out of this batch the i still function configuration for how it interacts with combiners i but that one i don't think obviously it's probably people will ask but it's not going to come up that often because if you're building a combiner deck you're deciding about i still function before you even sit down so presumably you're figuring out whether you want to even go down this path ahead of time uh, so I, it's definitely important to know. I, I don't imagine past the first couple of weeks that it will come up a lot as a, hey judge, what happens that I did this sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I agree. As opposed to some of these other ones, which one of the other notable ones, well, there were two relating to Steamroll, one with Motormaster and one with Grimlock. Again, you'd expect that these are the cards you're bringing. You would know these, but I could definitely see this question getting asked by a lot of opponents when it gets played, assuming you're playing Steamroll with Grimlock since it doesn't work, or at least not work the way everybody, I guess, was hoping that it would work. It doesn't stack is the point, so, exactly. which, is what I assume, which is what I assumed. Um, right. I don't think it changes the power level of the card at all. No. Uh, I still think it's a powerful card. And yeah, we're going to talk about rule. that one later because that's on my on yeah. my list. <laughs> um, and then the the this, the Motormaster ruling is basically just I, I I never really thought of I whenever I thought whenever I thought about Motormaster's ability I always just assumed direct damage but I guess I never really thought of the fact that like you know like Metroplex's ability or Steamroll type over you know mm. trample damage or Grimlock type trample damage exactly. is also damage quote outside of combat so it would prevent that it would have to be placed onto Motormaster first as well. So I guess I just didn't think about it, but like those are clearly non-combat damage abilities or combat, it's, it's non-combat damage, so I can see why it would fall on that. I just never really thought of it that way, but it does definitely make sense. Yeah, and like I said before, a lot of these rulings, they, they're just solidifying things that we kind of assumed about how the game operates under the hood sort of thing. And yes. it, it, it helps add that framework so that this way when the next wave comes out or you know whatever the next products are we can make more informed decisions saying oh well i believe that this is going to work this way and therefore hypothesis is whatever uh just because we'll have more information going in so yep. any other ones that you wanted to call attention to no everything else seems pretty standard or pretty like you know works the way i thought or is written on the card and just needs to be clarified for some people. Right. Yeah, they, it is something that's come up on in a number of these that I appreciate that they are doing the, the deeper dive ones and then also having some, for lack of a better way to describe it, cursory level questions of, well, we just spent a while talking about it, that there's a lot of people that this isn't, they haven't played card games for as many years as we have. They're, this may be the first time that they're looking at cards that didn't have aces and kings on them. So, I uh, I appreciate that they're they're 
examining all angles, I guess, yep. is the way to put it. So with that, we kind of closed out the major news items since our last recording. So what we're going to pull up is actually the battle cards. So what we wanted to do was to just preface everything. Scott and I had offline after the last few recordings and we had the full spoiler. We talked about, well, what do we want to do before we really dive into things, start really testing things? And we came to the conclusion of let's do a, a top five list of characters and battle cards. What ended up happening is that Scott and I had almost identical lists. <laughs> so I kind of cheated a little bit and said, okay, well, we'll talk about the ones we're most excited about and stretch it a little bit just so it's not identical lists. Um, now, the, what you'll see up on screen, I have, we're starting with the battle card. So for me, it's marksmanship, confidence and swindled. I'm kind of lumping together steamroll field communicator and leap of faith whereas scott you had confidence swindled field communicator mining pick reckless charge and marksmanship uh these aren't in order uh it's just going to rotate on screen as we're going through it so let me turn it over to you scott since i'm preface everything do you have a number one out of that list or are these all like they're so close it's tough to call the they all form different functions. Um, and I guess I'll just say that these to me are the ones that I feel are going to see the most universal play, but may not be, I guess the one I, that was left off was the, um, the defensive plan card, which I think is, there were certain cards we left off that were powerful in their, that are like absolutely necessary for the decks are going to be in, but I'm not sure mm. how much universal use they're going to see. Right. Whereas I tried, I tried to keep my list to cards I figured were going to show up in the most competitive lists. So yeah. I, I guess I want to preface that. Like if there was something like that was uniquely powerful for its specific deck, like so I guess if there was an honorable mention, I would put um that card in there because it's just so necessary in the in the decks that need it. So Well, we're also going to be talking about it extensively when we get to the character cards, because Security Console, the defensive plan card that Scott's talking about, it, it I'm not sure some of the decks could function well, I I'm gonna put it out there, at least in my opinion, I don't think those decks would function at all with that card if it didn't without that card if it didn't exist. Right, exactly. So like Scott was saying, it I think we're gonna end up talking about these those cards anyway as we start diving into shells for some of these so i guess to punt it back to you again like we were talking about after you were explaining the way you came up with your battle card list is there where do you want to start with these the ones where we overlap oh <laughs> uh, yeah we might as well yeah that's so fine. the first one i that's on your list is confidence and swindled so i really like these and i know initially it seemed like there was I don't want to say people were down on them, but they, I don't think people were as excited as Team Vector Sigma was about these. And as I'm getting the gears turning in my head, trying to come up with deck lists for Wave 2, I'm getting more excited about these because it opens up possibilities. And the reason, in my opinion, is I'm finding a lot of decks, or, and maybe it's just the way I build stuff, that I really need this card. If I find this card, this deck runs like a well-oiled machine. When I don't, it crumples. This is a card, it lets you dig, but also can let you play those extra things without chewing up your actions. 
Are you seeing it or envisioning these cards in the same capacity, Scott, or do you have a, a different angle for why they're exciting you? No, that's that's mostly what it is. I mean, I wrote about these extensively in my article last week about gaining extra actions through this set. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll reiterate it here. Um, to me, the first half of each of these cards where you draw two and discard two, I think what most people's complaint was about is that it's, quote, card disadvantage because it costs you a card and then you mm-hmm. wind up equalizing draw two, uh, discard two, so you wind up being down one total card, which is the right smoother confidence that you play, but that's irrelevant to me. Um, because, of, as I've said numerous times, what's most important is that you're able to play what you want when you want it, as opposed to right. pure number of cards that are in your hand during every any phase of the game. Um, if the question comes down to, like, to me, drawing two and discarding two is almost worth a card. Um, when you throw on there colored pip it's it's almost worth a full card i mean obviously the the comparisons are uh inspiring leadership which is draw three discard one which is better and um i guess um inspire uh what's it called uh drawing a blank um, i'm not sure which one you're reaching for <laughs> the draw two put one on top oh incoming transmission yeah incoming transmission right. so it's almost incoming transmission, except for incoming transmission also helps you during the combat step. And inspiring leadership gets you, digs you one card deeper and is blue, which is typically most blue decks are where you want to be taking the time to do these types of actions. So it, right. it fits more naturally. I would say the only negative about confidence is is they're both orange. Yeah, I was going to um, point that out. But, I mean, you couldn't have them, I guess, not be orange. But, uh, I, I mean, you couldn't have them both be like one be one color one be the other but i think if they were white they would people would be more hyped on them but i i don't see it as that big video i played orange cards in my blue decks before right um so to me this really this simulates a lot of of why i play treasure hunt in every single one of my decks mm-hmm. is i use my and i i, I coined the term before like the free phases so like i use my play and action card phase to smooth out my play an upgrade phase through playing trigger on so i can get away with playing less um upgrades that are actually impactful even you know some decks i had to play enough upgrades just for the heck of it to make sure i could do things on both phases of the turn but you can play less impactful less number of impactful upgrades could you have more of a chance to get them with treasure hunt right so to me the draw to discard to simulates closest to that ability obviously treasure hunt can draw you more than can get you pure card advantage can is more important now with the number of plan effects especially offensively with like getting um extra copies of uh the double armor and things like that you're going to want to pitch or um handheld blaster on the defensive side if you're playing the defensive card right but it still simulates that type of effect where you're using the action card phase to smooth out your upgrade phase. And that's before you even take into consideration that confidence lets you immediately play another action card. So if you are digging further and getting to an action card you want, it's getting you right there. Right. And swindle allows you to play an extra upgrade. So it's just at worst, it's just a, um, a new designs. Right. So like, that card should never see play again in any fully Decepticon deck because this just does that and does more. Exactly. Yeah, the... So... One of the things that... Because a lot... I've seen some people 
to one of the negatives that you brought up earlier that it's not just card disadvantage, but I, I've seen some people bring up that, well, it's bad off the top and Brainstorm's bad off the top. When I say off the top, I mean you have no cards in hand, you draw it. This immediately becomes live the following turn because then you could, you know, pitch the other card that you drew if it's not what you wanted and it's digging you closer, like Scott was describing, to things you needed. To elaborate on something that you would want, what's a... Because we could be talking about hypothetical Wave 2 decks, but to give people something concrete, at what point does Dinobots not want to see Dino Chomp? Or what, at what point would a car deck not want to see Turbo Boosters or Start Your Engines or, you know, whatever? You're, these are the, the things that make the decks work, and... Part of the clunkiness in Wave 1 playing some of those decks is, yeah, they're great when you see them, but Scott, you've mentioned it a whole bunch of times that when you don't see the tribal cards for your deck or whatever the thing is that you want to find, it feels like you're playing a really good sealed deck, and that's probably right. not going to cut it against another tournament cal caliber build. The smoothing out of the draws, which doesn't sound significant or may not sound significant to people out there listening or watching is huge because these cards are that power level. If you could run six dino chomps, you probably would, especially if three of them were orange. You know, they, you want to see these cards all the time, whatever your deck is. And the limitation of playing all Autobots or all Decepticons is, in my opinion, basically nothing. Like, there are very few fringe cases where it'll matter, but for the most part, I don't care. Like, has that come up at all for you, Scott? Like, do you care even remotely that it requires a faction? I care because, in my opinion, certain star char star cost characters are best, even after Rise of the Combiners. I still mm. like some of them that are off-faction better if I had the option to play them. Right. I would play them. I, like my deck list that I'm building out are on faction completely because of these cards. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess it like I'm letting the characters dictate. I'm letting the battle cards dictate which characters I'm going to use because mm -hmm. I, that's how powerful I feel these are. Right. I guess um, uh, yeah. I phrased that poorly. It's more I I don't feel that it's a. I agree with you. Yes, there are certain star cost slots where we just don't have a large quantity of characters, and it is a problem. But for the most part, I I don't think you're giving up that much power level when you're in order to gain access to this. Like the the trade-off is worthwhile. And I think it gets helped a lot actually when the Constructicons come out, because I there's certain decks I've been building or just have four stars left over, and it's like yeah. I can only run a Metroplex piece, and if it's a Decepticon deck, then I can't run Swindle. So it's like now what the heck do I do? Yeah. So it's like I it's like there's been situations like that that I can see but in general, it, it's it's it, it's not that big of a deal. Like I think these are powerful enough to force you to go in that direction, or want you to go in that direction. I agree. Um, I, think, I think players just undervalue, like I said, using one phase to influence the other. And I just think that's just that's just a it, that's just a magical Christmas land scenario to me. Like that's why you see so many decks that have brainstorm in them, and they're mm -hmm. not decks that I play. Because yeah. if they're again, they're 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 just these scenarios where you constantly have hands full of cards, and you constantly have hands 
where you're always able to do exactly what you want to do. And I just think that's that's unrealistic in any card game. And if you have the opportunity to use one part of the turn to improve the other and still gain some kind of like, especially in the sense of like confidence, because you're getting the action immediately back. Um, it's a little bit different with Swindled, but it's it's different in can, which can be in a better way, especially in the early game, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, early um, game especially, I think. Right, especially where, like when going second on that first turn, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can set up some mean you know, things. Yeah. So I don't know. Like to me, that I think that's more of a lot. A lot of where it comes from is that people just they want to live in a world where they're play and they're always going to have an upgrade to play and i'm like i don't know what world that is but if, if you let me live in that world it's probably not gonna be good for you so you well, know i'd I, rather live in the world where I, mm-hmm. I need to play cards like this so i think part of it is also again the clunkiness for lack of a better way to describe it of wave one and the way some of the decks ran the way some of the matchups ran that it may be influencing people's evaluations for it because i know sometimes i have to take a step back and say okay well yes that worked in wave one because we only had thing whatever thing happened to be or we didn't have something like confidence or swindled to that extent i mean like you said treasure hunt and a few other cards help smooth out draws but depending on the builds or what you were trying to accomplish i'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head that wasn't going to include treasure hunt but point being is that I think people didn't, it maybe didn't feel as necessary in Wave 1, depending on what they were playing. Whereas now, just Mm -hmm. because these cards are available, every other deck is going to be that much more consistent. So now it pushes you to include these cards to be more consistent. Because that clunkiness is just not going to cut it anymore. Agreed. So, uh... Did you have anything else you wanted to throw in on those before we move on to Field Communicator? No, I, I might have made some additional points in my article last week, so just check that out. Yeah. Uh, so, Field Communicator is another one that has ended up on both of our lists. I really like this card. It feels on the surface that it's, it, well, it's a random, it's the top card of your deck, it's got to be random, how good can it be? But the utility slot is both a weird one, it's a white pip, which also makes it a little weird, But there's a lot of new specialists and a lot of new specialists that you want to include kind of anyway. You don't have to, like, really go out of your way to get a specialist. You had options before, obviously. Decepticons could run Flame War. Autobots had access to Wheeljack. You could mix and match things because I was prior to Swindled and Confidence, like we were just talking about. But Field Communicator feels as though it opens up a lot of things. Is there a specific deck you have in mind, Scott, where this is going to find a home? Or is this showing up in everything for you uh this has showed up in everything so far because the decks i have on paper tend to be specialist focused or or specialist heavy i guess you could say okay um i mean i do that with wheeljack just about every list either has wheeljack or flame war or both and it's just like oh well i guess this works i mean this is another one where i laid fully in my or not the math but like the the theory heavily in my in my article last week mm-hmm. um you just don't want to be in a situation where all you're basically doing with your upgrade for the turn is getting plus one attack and 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 not good enough card off the top but at the same time like now that we have the entire set revealed 
the options like incoming transmission still remains the best quote unquote plan card that there can be. Right. Um, when you're doing it for this purpose of like, not when you're doing it for pure attack or pure defense, but when you're doing it to actually play the card off the top, which, you know, is your field communicator and your wind blade, um, type situations. Um, otherwise you're basically just saying a lot of times what's going to wind up just happening is that you're getting a pseudo, brainstorm effect or a pseudo new design effect like and you're getting the other half of the card as like why you play the card i guess i'll I'll use an example to explain it like if you if you play incoming transmission draw two cards put one back on top um you you either already have a field communicator in your hand or you or you draw it off the the incoming transmission whatever card you play you put on top is what you're going to play off of the um, field communicator so you're you know what you're going to be playing so really all incoming did for you there was simulate drawing two cards now is putting the card on top positive like if you put a double orange on top obviously yes right um, but what i think this opens up is that this allows you to play incoming transmission in a defensive blue deck because you're using it specifically to power out um field communicator which is not insignificant right uh and then changing and then the card in all likelihood, is going to remain blue anyway because that's how most of your deck is set up. Um, so to me, it opens up a lot of options that way. You're still you're losing part of the value by of incoming transmission technically because, but you know exactly what you're going to be getting off the top from field communicator. So that obviously has value. Mm. The draw one, plan one is similar. Um, what's it called secret dealings? I think. Yes. So that's similar. Like it's just that. It's again maximizing what you're getting out of field communicator as opposed to improving your combat step, which is not insignificant that you're not getting that value more. I mean, that's especially if you have a handful of double oranges that you don't really want to play, like that's that's not insignificant. But in more controlling type decks where you're not so concerned with the number of oranges that are on top, you're you don't that's not a big deal at all. Right. So uh, if you're not playing those cards, and I can't imagine you wouldn't be in a lot of these situations just because how you, um, ubiquitous, especially incoming transmission, is, especially in orange decks, right. but now could be in this situation as well, I still think getting any random card off the top is going to be more advantageous than like a Brainstorm or a New Designs because the card doesn't, is not in your hand to start with. Well, so. and that's exactly it. The fact that you don't need to waste time finding a way to get it into your hand whether it's another card draw effect or it's you know just taking your turn or well now we have a lot more options as far as characters that draw cards as well but leaving all those aside it because it's not coming from your hand i think it adds a lot of value plus if any card in your deck that you were going to run anyway now says it also gives a permanent plus one to something you're obviously more happy about that it it just right as we start out with it i okay let me put it this way i wanted to coming in when we were talking about how we were going to do the show talk about oh well here's a rough idea for what a deck would look like with these cards but as scott was saying it turns out that you just oops i have specialists a lot uh across a number of different builds and then it's okay well why not start with three field communicators and short of hitting the double pips 
just about everything else in your deck you're going to be happy about playing. I have had some scenarios where I'm mapping it out in my head and I'm like, well, I guess I don't really want to play an Energon Axe on the thing that's damaged because of the way stuff works out. But more often than not, I feel you can just engineer a scenario where it's fine. Whatever the card is, you're playing good cards anyway. And since Wheeljack and Flame War and then all the new inbound specialists are so playable, it's not, again, just like Confidence and Swindled, yes, there's a cost to playing it, but it's not enough to discourage me from wanting to run these. No, it has extra value, especially on like Wheeljack, because you allows you to draw and discard a card as well. So Exactly. And maybe that's influencing my decision of <laughs> because every time I play anything on Wheeljack, it's like, oh, well, I get to dig more cards. I get to, oh, by the way, play something else and make him more impressive. But I don't know. I feel like we're going to see a lot of field communicators. It's not, I don't think you're playing a deck because of field communicator, but it's going to improve anything that it's in. I agree. Um, so the only other overlapping card that we had aside from that is Marksmanship, which I feel wasn't really hyped either. Was that what your general sense of what the community was looking at, Scott? Or did you see a bunch of people that I missed that were real excited about it? No, I, I don't think it was super hype, but it, but it came out when like all those cards were released at once. So I think that's part of the issue. Well, I'll be honest. It was probably one of the ones out of that block that I was most excited about because, and you and I have talked about this a lot offline, I like Bombing Run, I know a lot of people don't, but I like Bombing Run when it's a blue pip plasma burst. It's actually harder than you might think to make it a blue pip plasma burst. This is a blue pip plasma burst, <laughs> like it just is, and I think that's important for a number of different decks, so... This one, I don't know if it's going to become a thing. It probably is not. But one of the first things I had tried when Wave 1 was released was Blue Tanks. Because I had opened it at one of my sealed events. I said, hey, this seems okay. Let me try it in Constructed. And one of its biggest problems was pushing damage. Because, yes, you were super defensive, but you were doing like two damage a turn. And then also, despite the defenses, when Burn became a thing because of One Shell Stand, uh... They, all the tanks just croaked. But this would have been something that I would have loved back then because it allows... You're now hitting a critical mass of I could spend every turn, every action, burning your guys down. Between this, One Shall Stand, Plasma Burst, the other ones that we're seeing, you know, character flips as well. There's a lot of direct damage available now. Mm -hmm. So is there... Are you just, again, This is this one that's, hey, I just happen to have specialists, I'm running it, or are you building a specific thing for marksmanship right now? It depends on, like, it depends on the character makeup for the rest of the team, um, whether or not, like, I, it usually boils down to whether the main character, if there is a main character in the deck, is already ranged to begin with, or... Right. Um, so that if he, if he is not on both sides, for example, um, it may influence my decision as to who the supporting characters are, so that I can so that I can run this more consistently. Right. 
because if I don't want that character to die, I mean, if you don't want that character to die at all, like in a Starscream deck, in like in any heavy range deck, so like you know, I don't feel Legend happens to be inside, but he has to be in that mode, which you don't want to be in that often. Only when you attack, but that's not that hard to do. Like stars, the new Starscream obviously is always ranged. Right. Uh, you you had posted this week like a Sunstorm deck where he is always ranged. Right. Um, but you'd be surprised as to like how many larger characters that I've looked at actually aren't uh, all the time. Like you know, some of the Megatron decks are. Um, so I guess there are definitely ways to always play it. Um, because your main character is usually ranged, so that's that part of the equation is usually taken care of. It's just whether or not if that character dies, does the whole now does just more of the deck crumble than would have crumbled before? Right. There is a so one. It, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, good. Well, I was going to say there is one caveat to call back to the rules roundup this week, and that's if you're playing against combiners, there is a point in the game where this card will become dead and its text box is literally blank because the combined mode does not count as bot mode. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter, but it is something to, to call out since I expect whether they're playable or not, and we'll probably get into that shortly when we get into the characters, but uh, you're going to be seeing a lot of combiners <laughs> one way or another. Um, I expect. And I think a lot of the, I think okay. a lot of the combiners, to be honest, don't have to get into bot mode, which could also hurt this card. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, flip density, what I like to call flip density, is something that I think a lot of decks um, do not address well. Like yeah. a lot of the times, a lot of decks want to flip all their guys on the before they attack. Um, and there were certainly decks during Wave One, as well as the ones I've built recently using Rise of the Combiners that don't care if certain characters flip. A lot of them happen to be combiner pieces that I'm playing outside the combiner teams. But right, um, like as we mentioned before, was with with special equipment. I'm not flipping Wheeljack until he actually attacks, and so and that there's certainly more ways to get him back into uh, car mode now. So. There's that situation uh, where you just you might not have as many targets as you want. It's it's certainly not as universal as a Plasmaverse, but it has of a course. blue pip on it. Yeah, so like I, I think I don't know. I guess the main thing is I'm not damage card in any deck I've built. I still always have, usually always <laughs> have one shot stand on my deck as it is. But I mean, I think if you have at least I would say like one and a half. And I mean, like in one mode, range characters in your deck at all times. I think this should always see like play as like a two or three of in every deck. Right. It, for me, a lot of things that I'm sketching out right now both meet that criteria as well as they want to be blue anyway. Whether it's a number of different combiner builds. So, for example, aerial bots. A lot of them are ranged. The combined mode itself is ranged. Uh, and I I'm trying out with a bluer shell to try and minimize the damage on them there are a bunch of other ones i just basically if i have a range guy and i don't i don't mind that there are blue pips you know if if it's a range guy and it's an orange based thing obviously this not making the cut but basically otherwise three of these are in right now in virtually everything i'm building whether that'll remain the case is another story but 
it just I don't know. I I have a hard time envisioning scenarios where this is so bad that you don't want to sleeve it up. I just have I, it's just hard for me to envision scenarios where I, I think some of the downsides people think is oh it's so it's so easy to make your guy immune to this but like so it shouldn't be it's hard enough to draw a card draw the card you want in this game at various times anyway like I've watched games where people never drew a signature card in the deck to begin with so yeah. if the card's in your hand to begin with you're gonna find a way to play it when it's most advantageous for you on the target you want or. You just don't care in that moment whether that is the absolute best target in the world or it's just a target that I don't mind taking two damage to. So, and that's the thing. There's I, a I, lot I of think that's an issue. There's a lot of things that you're two, you're one or two damage short, and or that one or two damage converts a a three hit KO into a two hit just because you broke that threshold. And yeah, like you said, it may not be the ideal target, but it's a target. And it gets you closer to victory anyway. I, I don't know. I, I just really like this thing. And I I can't imagine not playing it. Maybe it'll turn out that it's, that it's hot garbage. I don't know. Uh, but marksmanship feels insane to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, so those were the, the last of the ones that we agreed on. Again, this is... we were. I was trying, at least to some extent, to be a little different for the sake of discussion. Uh, you ended up having... Mining Pick and Reckless Charge on here, whereas I had Leap of Faith, which I know you were pretty excited about, and Steamroll. What do you got to say for yourself on Mining Pick and Reckless Charge? <laughs> I mean, I think they obviously go into Insecticons. I know Mark recently did a write-up for VectorSigma.info about it. Yeah, I think they're, I think Mining Pick's pretty ubiquitous in any aggressive deck. I just think the cost is pretty negligible to put a double... And in my opinion, anytime you put a double orange on top, you're actually improving the combat flip by not only the plus one you're getting on mining pick. So yes, okay, great. Now you have an orange um, uh, primary laser, which is not insignificant because that doesn't exist right now. Any primary laser type stats is yep. only on blue cards. So um, other than flamethrower in in bull decks, but usually, um, and I ran some of the math for the article, like. Your, your your average combat flip is a little over one per card that you're flipping. Um, that's pretty much the rule in any heavily, heavily orange-based deck, especially on the super heavy, like, you know, 34 orange card decks, like uh, Insecticons are. Um, maybe 32 or something like that, but whatever, it's a lot. Right. Um, so usually every card, you, you typically equate to over one damage. Well, if you're putting a double orange on top, Again, not only are you getting the plus one from the mining pick plan effect, but you're now guaranteeing that you're improving the first card's uh, flip by almost a full point. So to me, you're basically getting, for every double orange you put on top, you're getting plus two guaranteed Yeah, um, over where you were. So you don't have to do that twice and be totally insane and all of a sudden guaranteeing you're going from a plus one weapon on your guy to all of a sudden definitely swinging for an additional four again, because you have to assume the first two cards will be single orange anyway. So I'm not counting them as yeah, double orange, but of course. So you, you're basically going like in one turn from a plus one weapon and flipping over two oranges to a plus three weapon and flipping over two double oranges. Like that's huge. Yeah. The, so the math, I mean, it's obvious the math favors it. Like you said, primary laser, does not exist as an orange card. It's 
I guess the question I would ask you is this, and I know where some of the answers are going to be because it, it's kind of a spoiler for a later section, but do you envision or do you envision this showing up outside of those heavily orange builds? Yeah, there's two specific decks that need it, so... We're going to get into those uh, probably <laughs> shortly, <laughs> um, and I'm sure you you already have some write-ups in mind as uh, you actually try them out. I... Well, well, I don't want to go that far. We'll uh, we'll cover it when we get there. But actually, only one of them really needs it, needs it because of the way that the card works. But um, right, one of them really needs it, but one of the other one really doesn't that much. Well, it, I mean, it it definitely doesn't hurt. But we'll uh, we won't be coy right. about it. We'll we'll get into that one in a few minutes. <laughs> it's um, mining pick feels like this standout for a lot of things, which is funny because I even mentioned offline that for some reason I personally have a like mental block about it. I'm writing deck lists and I'm like, I'm forgetting something. What am I forgetting? And inevitably it's always mining pick, which is ridiculous because the card is bonkers. Um, it, and it doesn't, I think the, the thing that sells it for me in a lot of scenarios, or maybe not a lot, but is that you can get the consistent advantage of, oh, well, I drew a card. I don't actually want to play that card this turn. I'll just stick it on top and then run in and get the boost. But Or you can randomly have oops, I win turns. Like you said of, oh, well, I'm holding two improvised shields. I drew mining pick. Get in there. And then you just crush somebody. Um, it, it does enough for the decks, like every deck that wants it. So I guess that it really fits in the theme of your list, which is we're going to see these cards. Yeah, I, I, what I also really it gives so much more value to Treasure Hunt because yeah. the, the worst part of Treasure Hunt in Wave 1 was getting the handheld blaster or improvised shield in your hand now. It was like, oh, I have a blank now. Like The only advantage was if you played incoming transmission in an orange deck, now you have an out to put it back on top. Well, this yep. gives you that out for especially for uh um for improvised shield right. tremendously. Absolutely. So that's what I like about it. So going from mining pick, uh reckless charge I think is is pretty self explanatory. Uh Mark had even said it himself in the article specifically that it it's a guaranteed supercharge i guess yes if you're running a lot of white pips hypothetically you could have higher highs with supercharge but this is much more consistent um the only caveat with the damage is maybe the self-inflicted wounds from that and one shall stand might push it too far but do you feel that that's even going to be a concern does does it matter because you're just you know brutalizing your opponent before it matters um, I, I guess if you play multiples, I guess it just depends on how many you draw. Um, I, I think, I think for me, it's the mental block of not playing a lot of supercharge in my, cause I don't play a lot. I don't play insecticons all that often. So like mm -hmm. it was not in like the, the most, the, the aggro deck I played the most was cars. So, and I didn't play supercharge on my list. I know you did. Right. So to me, it's not as self-evident that, that I'm replacing something with another thing. Uh, to me, it's like I'm just getting a better effect than I didn't have before. Gotcha. So to me, like I'm getting an orange leap into battle as far as I'm concerned. Right. No, that the makes damage sense. Back is, 
the damage bag is not insignificant. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, you are you are doing a, a sizable chunk of damage back to your own character, but there are definitely situations like anybody that can anybody that can multi attack, anybody that can you know trample over, spread damage type of situation. Yeah. I mean, the card just increases in incremental value when you other ways of of you know of doing that damage. So my only, uh, I guess, my negative about it to to be the fly in the ointment for a moment is in the comparison to supercharge. I don't know, and I as in I just actually don't know uh, how often supercharge is three. We're so if we assume supercharge is three, reckless charge is four. How often does that matter? Because it and the where I'm going with this is compared to say one shall stand, which is going to guarantee that damage on there. This is forcing you into a combat step, and as a result, you know their actual flips, their armors, their defense all play in. Obviously, four being greater than three, you would think that would matter. But if you're say insecticons, your your barrage is already hitting for twelve. Do you? need to be at 13. I don't know where those breakpoints are, and the reason I brought up One Shall Stand is because of that, like you said, not insignificant self-damage that is... I don't know if you can play both. Like, is that just going to hammer the the crap out of the bugs? Because now they can all basically be one-shot if they couldn't before. I'm not sure how that plays out yet. Well, I think that's part of the issue is you don't care, especially in that deck, damaging your own guys because, like you said, anybody's going to kill them anyway. It, so I don't think it. I don't think it matters in that situation. It may matter um, in other situations, like in cars, something like that. But I, I don't think it'll matter there. Personally. Well, it so. it depends on whether it shapes up that everything could always one shot the bug on the back end. Like, if they could have done it regardless of whether you did the damage, but if now you're enabling that one shot, it's decreasing the amount of turns it's going to take your opponent to get there. Um, Again, it, it like, I get the concept. I don't care that much about the self-damage. It's obviously an aggro deck. I just don't know if it's enough self-damage running six things that deal three to your own guys that now it changes play patterns, I guess. Like you said, it's going to matter how many you draw. I think all it would do is allow you, which you wouldn't normally do in this situation, to put a weapon on a guy you weren't going to attack with anyway because your target already has enough damage where you're going to kill it anyway. Right. So, like, I I guess, like, you'd be be playing oddly by putting a weapon on a guy that may never be used. Yeah. So, like, it it may open up the ability to play more utilities or armor more effectively. Mm-hmm. Like than you'd want to, so I guess, but I don't think it's gonna. I don't. I think the number of scenarios where that's gonna matter, most people aren't gonna understand anyway. So oh, I don't. I don't, I don't mean think it's that big of a deal. When I'm saying different play patterns, I don't mean like it, the bug player is now gonna do something. It, so does it change your opponent's attacks into you now that your guys? So say Flame War, who is never gonna one shot a a bug. Mm-hmm. Now, can I mean the only thing off the top of my head is 
if she had an energon axe or a leap or something and now she's at six and this makes it nine which all of them would survive anyway but uh you know that hypothetical scenario that it's flame war plus thing now gets her there is that coming up enough because you're doing enough self-damage that now you've changed the average combat scenario i don't think that would be the case uh and obviously you could just you know not play it <laughs> and not walk into it uh that's the only like i said i'm trying to play devil's advocate for the sake of it i i think you're playing it because it's better for you than it is for your opponent no matter how you slice it so right i'm i'm like i said i'm trying to find <laughs> something right. on there i get yep. um and so that was the entirety of, of the, well, not the entirety, but the, the five that you had sent me before, uh, ignoring the honorable mentions. So Leap of Faith, I don't think there's a whole lot to say about it, only because, well, the card lets you play two cards. I'm most excited about it simply because I want to see if they're, and I've already tried this when I, the uh, the Sunstorm article that I wrote with uh, Universal Network Access, trying to actively go below 25 stars like consciously do it and not just oops well i only make it to 24 or, oops i only make it to 23 leap of faith might push me to do that i'm not sure what it looks like do you have anything where you're consciously doing that yet scott or you haven't gotten that far in figuring it out there's decks i've built that easily get to 24 23 and, and below unfortunately is normally only in two character lists which i'm trying to get away from Right. Or it, would, or it would require me to drop down usually a seven drop to a five drop combiner piece, mm -hmm. which could be done if if in testing Leap of Faith is that good, I can see myself doing that more often. Right. Right now, it, it really, and a lot of things I've been envisioning have been, it's just a one of because I got to 24 and I needed room, and I think that's the best one barring the weird sunstorm-esque builds where it's oh i won't really want that one star thing um but i am excited for the and part of the reason i included is just the potential that it could foster those mm -hmm. i really wanted to have something lined up to say oh well here's the deck and this is why but it no matter what it just inherently it's a one of it if we go that route so you're hopefully not basing your entire deck around that one of it'll just allow you to randomly go oops i do something really cool agreed um but one that i am really excited about and, and i brought up in the article about sunstorm so that sunstorm deck started as a bombshell list evolved to sunstorm when bombshell wasn't really working out but it really was something to test out the idea of steamroll which again i don't it came out in that giant dump of reveals so i don't know if it got lost or people just don't care about it but i really personally feel like steamroll is going to allow a number of different lists specifically we'll call it all in lists all in on a single character like go tall we're going to load up living weapon or sunstorm not necessarily those examples but i think people will get where i'm going with it that it's I have this guy, I'm going to stack them up with a gazillion things, whatever the things are, and get in there. And Steamroll allows you to steal back some of the tempo, some of the, the dig yourself out of the hole that you probably put yourself in by trying to go all in on that one guy. Because now you could technically get multiple combats out of the now 
variable Grimlock effect. Is this something that was was shown up on your radar, Scott? Like, are you excited about it, or you think this one's probably going to end up in a lot of people's binders? No, I'm excited about it because I just feel like it allows you to make what seem like it really. It, I mean, your opponent can't know you have it. I mean, in fairness, there is more discard in this set and more mm-hmm. targeted discard. But if your opponent knew you had it in your hand, they would play their game differently. So to me, this is one of the cards that can truly create blowout situations. Like, especially yeah. if you, like, a lot of times, if you're playing, like, a more wide deck, you'll offer up your damaged character after the after the first Absolutely. turn zero. Like, because you're like, I don't care if this guy dies. Like, he'll just, he'll get in there one more time and do his job. Like, protecting him is not going to necessarily do anything for you, especially if your opponent's playing any type of direct damage effect or cards because like that guy doesn't have long in this world as it is so if you're offering up your damaged characters and all of a sudden they get steamrolled like uh, you could just lose right there and then yeah um because your opponent will then just play could could do what you don't expect which is quote waste their best character because you're like oh okay i don't care you know if this guy dies he's gonna die to the other sides like medium medium guy or something like that right um, like i can i can definitely think of situations when i was playing the three wide optimist deck that this happened that's why I, i'm saying it and using those terms in that way but now all of a sudden like that's that's not going to happen like if that does happen like you like i said you could just lose right on the spot you lose your best character yeah through due to trample damage or something like that so i mean could you just kill two incidentally of course but that's still positive like you cost your opponent a draw phase an attack phase right uh, you know like everything you know uh, get to their main character faster like it, this is this just has a much more use than I, I think people give a credit for, and I think the fact that why they don't is because it has no pips, and people just really undervalue the well, power level of playing the no pip cards. We've only seen a single card prior to this with this effect, and that's Grimlock. And obviously, anybody who's played Dinobots or played against it or seen it played has seen what happens if Grimlock goes. Oh well, I have bold ninety five thousand. I just crush the whole opposing team. Well, two guys, but. The fact that now this ability is available to other characters, and to one of your points, Scott, that it you're stealing back time, essentially, because if you can get those multiple combats, you can even if you're killing two insignificant guys, it, one of the things that I think you've mentioned before, maybe you already think about this, the game in this way, but... Actually, I think you've said it on the show, if definitely not in an article, but uh, <laughs> if you think about the game as number of attacks required or number of attack steps required to eliminate the opposing team, previously, if you were using a all-in on, say, living weapon, because the, the, I think that's an easily envisioned example. So you load up living weapon, and he has... 20 attack it doesn't matter just a big number your opponent has three guys left if your other two guys weren't getting there it's going to take you three attacks plus whatever the preceding turns were to get him loaded up and oftentimes those sort of decks would fall behind because they'll just chip down the big guy and yeah it it might appear close at the end because you were one-shotting things but odds are you were never really in the game because you just took too long now you're you're 
you're just reducing the number of attacks that you need to get in with that big guy because you're either going to cripple the second thing, meaning your ancillary characters can do something of value to KO something, or you're just straight up killing everything on the other side, and now the clock is that much shorter. It just... Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for it because I really... Those all-in type of decks, and maybe they still won't be a thing. Maybe Steamroll finds a home in other stuff. But I don't feel that they were really a thing prior to this. I mean, I guess you could call the Optimus Nemesis thing. If you call the touch and look at it that way. But because Nemesis was big enough, it didn't quite feel like that sort of deck. uh, As compared to, like I said, all-in on Living Weapon or all-in on pick arbitrarily high star cost guy um agree so it i'm really excited about steamroll i i'm i have a whole bunch of things <laughs> lined up to try mm-hmm. it i'm i'm really excited about sleeving this one up uh so from there if scott you didn't have anything else for that one we actually have some characters to go through um again scott and i overlapped on a bunch of these so i kind of picked some not arbitrarily, but ones that I'm excited about, but I didn't want to have us just literally talking about the same thing. So, Scott, you had brought up Skywarp, Starscream, Windblade, Blitzwing, and then we both lumped Megatron and Bumblebee together because they're kind of the same effect, um, similar to Confidence Swindled. Which one of these really has you most excited? Or All of these seem to prop up decks themselves. Uh, Starscream is the most powerful of them. For right. Sure. Yeah, the, um, the super rare th- yeah. this time around. <laughs> or super rare, I guess the other ones were still good too, but the super rares this time around I feel are more exciting. They're more deck-defining in my opinion, yeah. Yeah. So, um, is Starscream the one that you were, since we might as well get into it, because <laughs> Skywarp and Starscream are right next to each other, are they the ones, obviously they're the ones for security console, which is the one that you feel has to have it? Starscream has to have it because he needs the crown to be on top for both attack and defense where Skywarp can just play a um, a colorless pip card as his action or upgrade if you want to play that, the playing card. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> for the turn, for the turn. And then um, he'll get the bonus during attack anyway, mm. so it's not it's not as significant. Um, See, I and that was something I wanted to ask you about. So personally, I I like the idea of Skywarp. I'm and you're the math guy, so you tell me if this if I'm way off base. But it feels like defensively, he doesn't have enough going on because of the low stats, and then the requirement for the pips that if you don't have that security console he's just too fragile. Is that not the case? Have you already done crunching all the numbers? No, that's the case. But, okay. I mean, the fact that he costs 10 and not 13, like these other characters that are center, uh, mm-hmm. centerpieces of their deck means that you can play another 10 cost character or another, you know, high eight, nine, 10 cost character. That's also going to put in work. Right. So also you're fair. not, you're not as all in and, I run these colorless cards in most of my decks anyway. So, like, I'm not running, like, 
some insane number of colorless cards just to make sure that he always flips one naturally. Like I'm totally building for having security console or having, uh, well, I guess just always having security console. So like mm. I'm playing treasure hunts on my deck. I'm playing swindle to my decks, things like that to make sure mm. I get it. So, I mean, I guess you um, can run reinforced plating or, uh, right. uh, sparring gear, the new reinforced plating to try and dig a little right. bit deeper. Right. And he's a specialist, for example, so you can play various, you know, ways to get, you know, field communicator into these cards, try to draw more cards, things like that. So like, yep, it's just not as, it, to me, it's not as big of a deal to, uh, I mean, I'm not going to, my plan is not to attack with him till last to give me the most number of chances to hit these things. And so, you know, like, and keep him safe as long as possible. But if you don't have the defensive plan options, you know, sure. He'll, he might just get one shotted. Like it is what it is. I mean, there's not much you can do. I mean, that that if if a big character doesn't have armor, period, they could just lose. Also, so you know, right. Well, I mean, to an extent, he does have double digit health, but most of the other ones that are the centerpieces do offer something on the back end aside from just a big health block. So it's. <sighs> The other thing I wanted to ask you about him is you mentioned when we had reviewed it, I think last time, uh, you didn't feel that the low initial starting attack was significant enough. So in the scenario where you go, I'll one shall stand whatever guy on your side, pump this guy to six, You at 10 stars, you feel the six attack is still enough. I'm assuming, and maybe I'm way off base, that because of the reinforced platings or the sparring gears or whatever... Aside from those null pips, you're running a lot of blues, so he's not going to be getting combat additions from, you know, normal flips. I guess, you know, the oddball incoming transmission or something. Just on the surface, you still feel that he's pushing enough numbers-wise that you're excited about building him or building with him? Any Any defensive deck needs actions or weapons to pump up their attack to... I will guess use those term acceptable limits anyway, <laughs> right? For their for their star cost, so I just, I don't see it as a big deal. Like mm. you, are we going to use the same argument on the mega? Well, like I mean, like they're the same star cost and have less attack, so mm. if you don't count the the six he gets off the ability. So to me, it's the same as any. I, I mean, I think we're stuck comparing them to like things like Wheeljack that are five bull three and just have insane stats on them. But like, yeah, this is just this is just. I mean, it may, I may be wrong. It may prove that, that that keeping him alive is too difficult. Like, unless you have security console, and like, obviously, this makes security console like just as important to take out as the armor does. But like, mm-hmm. if you're playing a defensive deck with my typical X number of blanks that are mostly direct damage, the rest is blue. Any armor you have on him is going to help him anyway. I know he starts out with a zero in that mode, but like, he's not just going to die if you're playing a defensive deck overall. If this, for some reason, the security console doesn't get killed, but I fully agree that you need it on him 100%. I guess you would. Even more than the Star Strain. Right. I guess you would. And I've only started thinking about Skywarp because I was focusing on other lists, but he would probably need. You need partners that don't want that armor. I mean, yeah, it's fine. If you draw multiple reinforced platings, great. Throw them on everybody. But they need to be able to stand on their own. Do you already have guys in mind that are lining up alongside him? Yeah, Megatron and Flame Wars, the deck I have. 
Okay. I'm working on. So interesting. I mean, they like you said, two tens and a five, so that seems okay. <laughs> it seems like we right, can so allow it. They'll have top one built in to begin with, so there's some defensiveness, I guess. Yeah, I mean that that is a valid point. I mean, it logically makes sense. So it, I guess moving from Skywarp Starscream is the other obvious one. Um, I feel like the power level is just too high on this guy to be ignored. Like the the highs are so high for him that it's worth jumping through hoops. And I think that I don't know. I don't want to call it a combo deck, but it kind of I think it's going to feel that way because when you start looping the crowns, that it, it that's just the way it's going to feel like it works out. And the first time that you defend with an absurd armor on Starscream, it's going to feel great. <laughs> yeah, especially if you have security console attached to it. To me, it's not like a combo deck. It's more like a, well, I guess it's a combo deck in the sense that, like, if you have him completely loaded up with the upgrades he needs to make all this stuff happen every turn, I guess consider that to be combo y. Yeah. Um, like, you need the mining pick on him. Well, you, you don't need it, but. You need a mining plan type situation on him. Right. You need the security console as best as possible, and you need the, if not, and or tough armor on him. Um, but the difference between him and Skywarp is, as soon as you flip a crown, you always have that crown the rest of the game. And that's why, I mean, you had mentioned Skywarp only being 10 versus being 13, that I think the consistency for me and maybe it's it's not quite playing with the fear, but it's you know if I see a crown, you're gonna have it. Like you, that's the entire focus of the deck. You're going to do it. So that pushes me more into Star Screams camp personally. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I mean, to me, Star. I mean, I truly believe that the Star Scream deck will be on the level of of, the, of Wave One Optimus decks. Personally, I just feel hmm. like. In the, in the hands of a good player and more specifically a, a good deck build, the deck will be just as powerful because he will fully suited up. He will always have at least one crown all the time because of the way it works. Yeah, once and he... So, God, sorry. So what's that? Nine attack and three defense or four defense at all times, right? I mean, that's better starting stats, right? Oh, yeah. And that's a, you know, you're not doing anything else. It just... Once the ball gets rolling on this guy, I think it's going to be a very hard shell to crack. Uh, and that, I mean, that's just more points in his corner. I'm I'm looking forward to trying it. I'm also dreading if it's wall-to-wall star screams. Um, I, I don't know. I think, it, I think it'll come down to... I think it'll come down to how people decide to combat it, but... And I right. think it's... But... I mean, the crown is a white and a green. Like, you can't have better colors on a card you want to flip every single combat. Yeah, exactly. And especially I, because... I, I, I almost can't believe they made it so easy to make this deck, to be honest with you. it uh, Yes and no. I, I know I've seen other people bring up that it there is a... Um, I don't want to say it's the MO, but there there is a underlying current of... Well, here are the decks <laughs> to some extent with more recent magic sets. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think I'm okay with it in general. 
uh, because we do see a number of these other parts for things that, okay, well, here's a deck. You want you don't want to do a whole lot of thinking. Here's the deck. Oh, you do want to do a lot of thinking in deck construction. Okay, well, here's all these tools. Uh, and I think we have a good mix of both. Yeah, to me, the only thing, when I, as I'm building the deck, the only thing to make again, see the power level of Swindle when it's in play. Mm-hmm. And to me, with a character like this that wants all three types of upgrades on him, I just feel like it's an absolute necess- necessity to play Swindle in the deck. But if you can get away without playing it, your options for three-man teams increase significantly. Yeah. So it, that really, to me, is just a decision point. Fair. Uh, so aside from S- Skywarp and Starscream, we also both had another plane, and you were convincing me that you hated planes. So uh, <laughs> tell me about Windblade, because personally, it, it, I feel like she was forgotten. I'm oh, sorry, my, my dog came by and was... I heard a weird noise, and I wasn't sure what it was. It was the dog just rooting around and stuff. Um, so, since we saw Windblade so early, which of note, we also saw different artwork when she was first announced, like, before we even got card text. Um, I don't know. It feels like people kind of forgot about her. Obviously, Starscream feels like a much splashier, you know, more impressive super rare. But I'm still pretty hyped about Windblade. We talked with Field Communicator and a number of other cards. Being able to cheat the the phases of a turn and get extra plays. Or turn a phase into another phase. So you're turning your flip into a card play. Or it should be a card play if you build the deck properly. She's a specialist which allows a whole bunch of additional tools. For me, I like that she's a plane and one that... I don't feel awful about actually sleeving up if I was trying to do planes. Um, I think there's a, a number of different avenues for Windblade. I'm assuming you are going down the I just want to play all the free stuff route. Yeah, but do you want to play Devil's Advocate and tell you why I think people don't aren't as hyped on her? Why is that? Okay, one, she's super rare. Well, yes. if it isn't Starscream, as you mentioned. Um, and isn't exciting, quote, like a triple changer, even though I think she's better than both of them. Um, mm. I definitely think a. she's better than Springer, but we'll talk about Blitzwing <laughs> once we get there. Um, I actually think it's Field Communicator that hurts her, because I think her ability would have stood out as being more unique, of actually being able to play an extra card. Oh, you mean from a popularity a, perspective? Right. Like, yeah. Because the, the card she can play on the top has a draw. Typically, it's going to be less powerful because of the dual dual pip nature of it. So the fact that you feel communicator can play any card means you can pretty much get her ability out of an upgrade. And I think that might hurt why people think she's not as good. I just like, I'll just play both and play five yeah. cards this turn instead of two. <laughs> exactly. like, you know, like, so the fact that she's also a specialist is wild to me. We talked right. about it before. I mean, I'm looking at Skywarp right now. He's also, there's just so many good specialists now. But I, but I, but I think the fact that, like, what, what I mentioned when we talked about field communicator, like setting up what the field communicator plays is obviously a hundred times more important with Windblade because she can't just play everything off the top. So you have to focus on that ability in turn before you focus on the field communicator ability, for example. So right, that's one that's one issue. Mm-hmm. I just think she's diff- she's going to be difficult to sequence correctly. I think for people, I think people see it as like. Oh, her her bot mode ability against combiners isn't going to matter because 
people don't think combiners are very good, which I don't necessarily disagree with as it stands right this second. But uh, the number one most important part of that ability is a six attack on a 12 drop, which well, is only one less than yeah. Nemesis. So, like, who cares? Like, well, to that, me, that's not significant. It, it, Although I was literally just saying this about Skywarp and he's less stars and he was only six, um, to me, it, it that is also very significant because, like I said, for the most part, most of the planes that we've seen have kind of abysmal stats. On the other end for her, though, I'm excited that she has double or two, rather, defense in both modes. It, two is just something I'm I'm always looking for because if you're playing more defensive centric, suddenly you're preventing four if you flip two blues, and on a double digit health character, that goes a long way. Yeah, I I just think I just think since the whole set has been revealed again, I, I also think part of what might have hurt her was a lot of the double pip cards that she you want to play in a deck with her all were released on the same day. Yeah. So there was I no think, lingering think, hype. <laughs> right. So I think there's just not enough. Like if some of these double pip cards had come out as their own reveals, I think that you would say this clearly goes in, in a, in a wind boy deck. Whereas all of a sudden there's like 30 cards you want to put in the deck and it, it becomes a numbers game as to how many of them you actually want to play. And I think, it, I think there's, there remains a misunderstanding of, and not that I've played with the cards and know this, but how good is this card if it's your only action for the for the turn? Not or if it's your only upgrade for the turn? Not very good. Well, how good is it if it's your third or fourth thing you've done for the turn? Yeah, which is what she's going to allow you to do, mm. which really opens up options for what seems like underpowered double pip cards. You know, like Tim, like, honestly, rollout and matrix aren't even in my list compared to the, the the cards that have come out. So yeah, there's like you said, there's a those ones that may have just been below playable are now suddenly well there's a there's a lot of options available to them now when like you said it's the third fourth fifth card you've done this turn yeah and and the other thing i think that she has negative against her is 12 is really difficult to make like um, again especially if you want to run confidence um it, it's difficult like if she cost eleven, it'd be a lot better. Yeah, um, twelve well, is pretty awkward. Yeah, it does make it a little awkward because, I mean, because one of the all suck. Well, yeah, on the especially on the Autobot side. So, right. one of the things that had come to mind, and this wasn't really a plain thing, but Windblade Thundercracker, and then just you know fill it out with Flame War. Let's say, uh, right. You that feel, confidence. That's the issue. Exactly, and that's where it starts to get a little awkward. It's kind of, so, we said it earlier, but there's just, despite getting these new characters, I think as a result of a lot of them being combiner parts, we just didn't get the meat in some of these star slots, and that does make it a little awkward. Yeah, so my decks with her are usually one being 23 or 24. Or are 25 using Metroplex pieces. So it depends on how... how turns out so yeah that when as soon as you you have to run a metroplex piece or even going forward with the constructor cons it's you don't feel great <laughs> we'll put it that way so i think that's the issue like do you down 
do you obviously the it's wheeljack and a metroplex piece like is that better than seven drop five drop and a one star battle card that's i think what's going to be the telling tale right well it's all going to depend on those <laughs> those seven drops because the seven and eights are just eh. yeah agreed there's not a there's not a, a whole lot of things that really get me excited and unfortunately like you said if you can't go like you're not doing a two character list with Windblade and then just loading up on single star cards. I don't think you can do Windblade in a thirteen drop. I just don't like two character lists as much. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's uh, I guess going out of vogue at this stage. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, whoop, I must have hit the uh, the button there. So. The, the other one that we overlapped on outside of the planes was, well, we we got a couple more, um, was Blitzwing. So the of the two triple changers, we talked about it a lot, but I, I'm not a huge fan of Springer. Uh, I just, I don't, I can't picture what he wants to fit in right now. Whereas Blitzwing, I feel like he could fit in a, a huge variety of things. Um where are you fitting him in right now? Is it because of the Brave and Stealth, or is it because you want to have his flip into the Brave and Stealth? It's mostly because of the Brave. Right. I mean, um, I was calling out Stealth just because it's new. I can't imagine you're flipping into it. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like that's going to work the attacks, out. The attack's just too low on that mode. Mm. Um. It would be because of the Brave, but his 11 cost is still making it awkward right now mm-hmm. to fit in. To fit in a, like, because when you're Brave, obviously, you want to be protecting things. And as it stands right now, like, I wish I could be protecting. Again, this may, this is actually, he's the one that I think actually benefits the most from the Constructicons because right. you get to run a 10 drop with a Constructicon. Yeah. So to me, I haven't been building because I'm waiting for the Constructicons to come out to play. I don't even. Don't even pin me down. Is one of them a specialist? I'll play that one. Like, like I don't even know <laughs> right, right. W- w- what they do, but whichever one of those terrible guys is the best to see. They're play. a body that. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess they they'll probably die to any combat because I think a lot of them had like literally four health, maybe one armor. Like, I know Hook has seven. I know Hook has seven health. That's probably the one I would play. Okay, yeah, the so. one that's not going to die on turn literally turn one. Right, but if one of them is a specialist, or one of them is some ranged or melee that I want, it may wind up being that one. But, right, right. But um, I just, you know, yeah. I, I think when that's out, I'll be more excited because I, I want Blitzwing to be protecting somebody of value, and right now on the, on the again, unless you cross-faction, which could happen because I, I don't know how significant it is to armor, well, it's significant to armor him up, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think the hunker down ruling with superior plating helps him a lot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so. I I kind of want to try him out with Slipstream just because of the redundancy of they both want multiple different types of pips. I'm always on the lookout for an excuse to, to play the Slipstream I have, and there are a number of cards in this set that care about you playing different pips or flipping different colored pips. So in that scenario, you get... You're 8 and 11. They're both Decepticons. The problem is the 6-drop slot is also bad, but you could always go Flame War, Leap of Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know if that's good enough because then even if you live the dream with Slipstream, it's okay, you have seven attack, congratulations. Uh, Blitzwing has six attack, thumbs up. I don't know if you're doing enough. Like, you're, you're going to mess with your opponent's combat map because of the Brave, and obviously you'll have the extra tough again, like you were saying, the armoring up Blitzwing in one form or another will help him with the Brave, but I don't know if it's doing enough things that you care about. And if you ever whiff with Blitzwing, you're going to feel real bad. Oh, when you attack? Yeah, like if you whiff on the bot mode and don't get to transform into tank and you're just hanging out there with zero defense, it's going to feel bad. Yeah, that's why, I, that's why I see Hunker Down as the best option, personally. Oh, yeah, it would definitely make the cut in this for all the obvious reasons. It's uh, yeah. it, I just want to throw something else out there because, it, like I said, it's an excuse to try and find homes for Slipstream. Plus, now that we have green pips, I feel like Slipstream... And there are a lot of Weave 1 characters that... I'm revisiting because I think they, they got a boost from the new set, obviously. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, one of the other overlaps was, moving from there, was Bumblebee and Megatron. That kind of like Swindled and Confidence, they're just mirrors of each other. Um, I don't know. It, it, this feels kind of obvious that they're going to see play somewhere. Bumblebee... I think you've even said publicly is already you're looking at replacing super rare Bumblebee with this guy. Yep. Are you Megatron? I'm assuming is spawning other stuff aside from the list that you had mentioned earlier. Um, is there anything off the top of your head that you're real excited to try these guys with? Aside from uh, those, <laughs> it's getting the superior plating on to Megatron. It's smoothing out your draw by pitching redundant upgrades um, um it's real controlling type list he still has a huge amount of, it's still a huge health pool huge defense in um in alt mode and it's basically just getting the ability to play more cards uh, immediately um he, he's just very good i mean to me like you know he's the 10 that i want with blitzwing and and this random constructicon he's the 10 that i want with Skywarp and Flame War, like he's the ten that I want most often. Yeah. Um, in any random list like that. Um, just because again, he's another flip density card. The the one thing I'll say about him is that I do like attacking with him in bot mode to pitch the card and draw two cards, but I like defending with him in, in tank mode. So it's gonna be he's gonna be vulnerable for a turn usually. Like you don't want to attack in the tank mode. Mm. Um but hunkering down with him when he's or when he's in bot mode is like is is even better than a three for one because you're getting a point of defense. You're able to play an upgrade. You're getting back an armor. It's just an insane value. Yeah. Um, and when you hit that superior plating, it's going to feel great. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh -huh. Turn one. Oh, I'll pitch superior plating. Draw a bunch of cards. Oh look, I drew a hunker down. LOL. <laughs> yep. Just like it's it, it's going to be ridiculous. Um, I know, and I'm going to bring this one back up because it's fun to be a little self-deprecating. I didn't like Megatron initially when he was first revealed, but it was a, I can see where this guy's going to become good. I just want to see more stuff that he's good with. Um, and man, it, there, there's a lot of stuff that he's good with. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, 
I think people are just discounting in both these cards the 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 discard draw two. I think it's just huge, and I think people are just discounting that. To be honest with you, well, yes, and it, it not to be a broken record, but to go back to our our swindled confidence discussion, it's again some decks function on finding certain cards or certain matchups function on I need to find a burn spell so that I can break the turn cycle because I'm going second and otherwise they're just going to snowball and blow me out. Well, now you're digging extra cards to go find the thing that you need, whatever it happens to be. Uh, And plus, as you mentioned with Megatron, yes, he has lower defense in bot mode, but as I was mentioning with Windblade, two defense is kind of a good target for a lot of things because especially early on in the game, until you're... So if you go first with Megatron, swing in, their first attack, they're only getting one buff for it, soaking four of that, assuming, again, heavy blue, between your defense and then flips, assuming there are no other things that influence it, is a significant amount. Like, Mm -hmm. you buy... And again, not more broken record stuff, but like we were talking about with Steamroll, that... It's turning things from maybe two turns into three or one turn into two. And now you're extending the game and forcing your opponents to have certain resources that they may never see or may not be running because they just can't do whatever the thing is in a certain amount of time. And since in both these situations, your best action card you can play in the deck also transforms your or flips your character and gets you additional value. Yeah. It, the, the flip it doesn't even cost you like the flip for the turn to flip back into the mode that you want to defend in. So like, to me, that's why these are both very powerful because specifically the cards they want for the alt modes, they, they possess, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, are what you want to be getting by pitching cards and going to draw two. Um, it's the pitching a card and obviously a combo with the Megatron, because that's what hunger down does get things out of your, scrap pile so it's an obvious combo there especially with superior plating yep. but even even with bumblebee you're just digging deeper to get to start your engines which is what you absolutely want in every like you want it as much as possible in every single card deck yeah. so you know if you don't have it you're going you're, you're digging to go get it so yeah um yeah both these cards are amazing to me yeah and i'm looking forward to definitely trying them out i'm very curious to see i mean you were uh, describing some Skywarp builds that you had that included Megatron. I'm very curious to see where each of these land outside of these initial ideas. Like we said, Bumblebee is probably going to wholesale replace old Bumblebee, super rare Bumblebee. Uh, Megatron is going to find a home, but what are those other parts? I'm very curious to see where they shape shape up. Yep. So... The other two that were on my list, one of them was Razor Claw, and that was kind of the the stretch guy. I was working really hard on Blur, and then I couldn't really get something to Blur, but the one I want to tackle first is actually Dreadwing, which is the combiner that I feel is, oddly enough, the best one. Would you agree, Scott? Dude, like, if you had to rank all the combiners, is he at the top? Right now, yes, because he fits. He's the easiest one for me to wrap my head around fitting in other decks. So yes, mm. he. I say it's strange that he's the the top one because I don't. 
when I say combiner, I mean, we said in the reviews that it, that's not the guy that I think of. And I mean, even Wizards said that themselves, that that the last combiner is not somebody that you're going to think of. Well, that's absolutely true for Dreadwing. However, the fact that he just does it seamlessly, the combination, and then you're not in a position that it was, well, I'm going to race to being a combiner, and now I need to race to make sure that I end the game before you just all in my one big dude. You're still going to have another character, you know, assuming that your opponent doesn't kill him, and you can do it early enough that you, I guess, have time to take advantage of being combined. Right. All of the other ones, it, I don't know, it, getting two weapons, even if you don't live the dream of two Energon axes, it's just, okay, well, I have two weapons, or I have two reinforced platings, or I have two whatevers. You know, it, it feels so simple to do it, and then you can just, oh, by the way, I have all these other stars to do whatever I want with. And it's not going to just be, I have a bunch of, not garbage, but mostly garbage, five-star characters combining into now a gigantic bullseye, and then I just croak. Yeah, I mean, you gain an attack in the first cycle, so that's what I like about it, so. Exactly, yeah, you had gone through and elaborated on that, um, and we also talked about it last time because of the way the the ruling works out for some of the, the timings on the attacks, and then... Obviously, it doesn't quite, it isn't as nuts as we hoped for I Still Function, but it is what it is. You can't have everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I, I'm i most excited about this combiner. Uh, as an aside, what what was your, or what is your number two? Do you have the combiners mentally ranked? From a deck archetype or from actually combining and wanting to combine? I guess I would say from a deck, because obviously some of them, I'm assuming you're alluding to the Sentinels, may not really need or want to combine. Right, my Sentinel deck has like one Enigma in it, so like, mm-hmm. to me, to me the Sentinels are the second best combiner from that perspective, um, even when he's in play as well. Um, I just think they make the most synergistic deck as well. Right. Um, but I think the Aerial Bots with Superion are, are I I think an aggressive aerial bot list with a lot a lot of direct damage. Um, I really like um, what, what's it called the Inferno Breath in that deck as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Because basically, like on that last turn when you have more guys than your opponent, because you're playing a five wide deck, like tapping my guy to do three is probably going to be more. Yeah, a lot of them have one or two attack. attacks. So yeah, right. So, um, to me, I think they're, uh, they're, they can make an interesting build as long as when he, when you combine a superior on that three damage and he gets to do somebody, kill somebody, as long as you can arrange it and I don't think it'll be very difficult. I think it's going to be, that's going to be a solid deck as well. I think he has to kill somebody or it's not going to be enough. Um, you have to kill somebody with a three and then hopefully kill somebody on your attack yeah. but that right, might right. be it might be difficult to get both but yes um i'm kind of a toss-up between superion and menasaur just because i it, you know we've been talking about getting extra actions but i think we can both agree that predator king is the least exciting <laughs> yes i i just yeah i'm not 
in there. But speaking of Predaking, <laughs> see the segue right into the, the Predacon <laughs> that's on the list is Razor Claw. Um, I know I made it sound like I was just kind of throwing guys on here, but I actually am kind of excited for Razor Claw because of the Bumblebee effect that he is your sniper. That because the scenario I was thinking in my head was 10 cost, 10 aggressive, 10 cost, aggressive, 10 cost, Razor Claw. And it's Razor Claw should, air quotes, survive turn one if you're going second. Then you can get in with one of your aggressive guys. Or if you're going first, get in with one of your aggressive guys, hopefully cripple something. And now they, your opponent needs to make awkward decisions because no matter what, that guy that got hit for a lot is going to be exposed and vulnerable to Razor Claw. Um, no, I agree. That's good. So it's whether that's a thing specifically in the context of better than the best orange deck Insecticons, I don't know. But it does give you a different way to go at it because you could have a three wide with two sizable guys. I mean, the the joke thing I had in my head was Grimlock, uh, the, is it the Uncommon Starscream? The one with Bolt 2? Whatever one has Bolt 2. Oh, that, yeah, that's key cost 11, though. No, the, uh, does he? The I thought Common he was one has Bolt 1. Okay. He went the, the Bolt 1 with the Bolt 1. So the, you know, and then just run Starscream's Null Ray just to, so that you could have Bolt a bazillion on him and then just, you know, try and get in there. Like I said, it was mostly a joke, but it was the first two 10 cost guys that came to mind. Um, you could naturally do Grimlock, Wheeljack, Razor Claw, Star, Star, and then mm-hmm. maybe that's a thing because you're just playing enough oranges. You lose the the Sludge Eye still function. Maybe that's fine. Uh, it it similar to some of the other cards. It just opens up options, especially yeah. with paired with Grimlock because now it's okay. Well, I can get in with say Wheeljack get in with Razor Claw on something that you're not expecting, and now the Grimlock turn becomes incredibly awkward for you. No, I agree. So, like I said, it would. I wasn't throwing Razor Claw on there just for the sake of it. It was just something that <laughs> I... We did agree on a lot of things, and I thought it would be more interesting to have an, a different card on there also. No, um, fair. Oh, Orangitis is saying in chat, full blue Predacon, yeah, that's kind of where I was thinking they would have to go. That was my initial thought. I think a lot of the combiners are going to end up being orange, but it's going to take some playthroughs to see. So that uh, that closes out our top 10, or top 5 list, rather. 10, technically, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> uh, we Our closing section this time around was, Scott had put out feelers for listener questions, and if anybody out there listening or watching wants to have questions on here brought up, definitely hit us up. Contact information is going to be in the show notes, and it's also on stream. I know we do still have an outstanding question about Limited. That question came in kind of around the beginning of Wave 2 spoilers, so naturally everything's out the window on that front. And it's also probably an entire show talking about Limited as a whole. So, Scott, I know you got at least one question. So <laughs> what is our uh, lingering listener question? Um, we're running late. So there were a few questions we'll have to get to next time. But oh, one of okay. the questions that uh, Joe from Wreck and Roll asked was about um, a combiner-only format they wanted to form, and that what what would I what would we think about it, and what would what what kind of rules would we make? Oh, combiner only, as in, in 
you can only use combiner parts and then combine? Um, well, that would, like, he wanted to, let's just call the format combiner wars for that, for the sake of it. Like, how would you make that, how would you make that format and, and, and what would you enjoy it? And my answer, both online to him and offline, um, and I'll just speak about it here. Uh, you can think about it while, while I talk is, yeah. I guess the way I would make it is, um, and, and what's, what's convenient is there's actually a rule sheet I saw online actually says what the combiner teams are so like you already have your who you can run right there so it's all your established combiner teams that are in this set including the dreadwing um but you could run any one of parts like that that's your that's your character pool available to you so it's it's only those teams but it doesn't mean that you even necessarily have to run like a 25 star team of all aerial bots like you could run a mixed aerial bot dinobot stunticon like whatever you you do like scramble city and then well, no, I mean you won't combine, but I'm saying okay. that's what's a, that's what's available to you as a oh, character, I see as okay. a character pool, like, because like like for example, like you could run Dinobots and not want to combine. You could run obviously if you run Dreadwing, you have to have make up the nine star somewhere. Like I wouldn't want to just say you, like your team specific. Like you have to fill out that's the fair. deck in some way, some way, shape, or form, and you can run whatever battle deck you would want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way I would run it. It's it's like. This is your character pool. It's only anything that's been established as a combiner, and you can run. And this would include Constructicons as well. Interesting. Um, okay. And you could run any battle that you wanted. Um, would I enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, like, I think it'd be. I think any. I always have been a fan of limited card pool, um, deck construction rules. Um, I'm not sure how varied the decks would be because I. Well, right now, especially, I think we have to assume that this is also partially down the line where we have both more teams and more cards. <laughs> oh, no, he was talking about doing this in April. So, Oh, well, that changes things. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, I think it would be fun. I mean, I think the battle decks would still vary. I think you still have different uh, deck building options. I'm not sure. Like, like a lot of times, like, in these limited card pool formats, like certain mini metagames form, I'm not really sure that would necessarily be the case just based mm-hmm. on the options but um yeah. i think it'd be interesting i'm not rushing out to play it like i think there's many more options to do by using the full wave one and two card pool available to you but i, I think as a, as as an option I, I think it would be fun and, and, and would not be unplayable in my opinion yeah i can definitely agree with that see so i had a thought on what i would do but then <laughs> when you said oh he's thinking about running it in april uh, and other things you were saying, it sounds like he, he's thinking more of a actual constructed competitive tournament format or something along those lines. Um, what I, my brain initially went to was like the attack on Devastator. Um, so as opposed to requiring that everybody has to build decks out of combiner cards, it would be one player is the combiner and... This is cheating a little bit because in my head you'd have to modify some of the rules. So essentially, uh, like the old WoW raids or um, I think Magic yep. was Conspiracy. So basically, one player is de- or the computer is Devastator. Devastator instead of having whatever health he has that was fifty something, um, he starts out as the Constructicons, but then eventually, based on certain in-game criteria or triggers he'll combine or if a player's playing you just hit the enigma and then he actually has like a hundred health 
but it's multiple players against the combiner. Um, again, it would it would require a whole bunch of stuff with reworking the rules. Maybe it's also because in offline, I've been thinking about trying to design a Unicron raid because it would mm. be cool to have a you know. Just because I was thinking of the movie in different phases, so it would be something similar to that where someone's controlling the combiner again, the, the deck is running itself, and then it's try and take down Devastator with the different groups, or you know whatever your, your teams are. Devastator goes rogue, or Superion goes rogue, and then it's Autobots and Decepticons teaming up to stop them from rampaging, or whatever. Yeah, this would be constructed in normal format. <laughs> yeah, in that case, that whole idea, that whole thing I was talking about, just goes right out the window. And I think I have to go with your answer because that makes the most sense. Yeah, um, I think that that's probably. I agree with you. I think if we played it enough, there would be a mini meta game. Maybe there would be a given combiner team just overshadows them all. But maybe it also gives Predaking the opportunity to shine because. I don't know if he's going to get that otherwise <laughs> based on what we're seeing right now. No, I think his whole, his, I mean, in talking to him online, but outside the post, it was basically to, to, to showcase the combiner mechanic and forcing it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I've talked in the past about like having pauper formats and things like that, that would yeah. showcase other cards. And I think that's not a bad thing. Um, and I think it would be cool to call like combiner wars and go from there. And I, I just, mm. you know, I, I think it'd be cool. I'm just not, ru- I'm not rushing out to do it because I just think there's, I mean, I would definitely play in the event. Um, yeah, but I guess maybe I mean, if there's, it, we'll the see issue... how the wave two metagame shapes up for a month before that. But. Yeah. I, I feel like we're going to see, like, I don't think you're going to need to go out of your way to say, well, here's what combiners do. You'll never see them otherwise. Like, I, I think we're going to see combiners even once things settle. I have to imagine that out of the combiner teams we got, at least one of them is playable competitively. Like, and it'll be at tables, uh, as opposed to, you know, just somebody saying, well, I want to play this combiner. I'm going to show up with this deck. Um, the other thought I had as you were describing that is if you, again, do weird things with the rules, uh, and there's no way you could, well, I mean, not that there's no way, but it'd be very difficult before April to try and figure this out. If you had like some way where you have your normal team, but then through some other mechanic, you get the parts for the combiners and then both players would have like a combiner that starts out of play and then you eventually rotate it in somehow. Um, I don't yeah, know none what of that this would is, be. I don't think any of this is necessary. I think you just play it normally, but you just limit the limit the character pool. So. Yeah, I'm just throwing out other ideas. Mm-hmm. I think that the the cleanest and most appropriate way would just be okay. Here's your pool of characters. Run it. I'm just throwing out ideas for the sake of it. <laughs> but I also yeah, the main like, the main debates we got into is like, do you have to run all the same team? And I'm like, that would be bad because I don't even want to run all the Dinobot parts. I don't even want to run. I think it keeps you honest, So let's say that there's a just smattering of five five stars across the very teams that are, here are your aggressive combiner parts, and it's just the format's premier aggro deck. It doesn't combine, it doesn't care, it's just going for the throat, and it helps keep the dirtily just, I'll eventually combine deck from dominating things like you need something 
on the aggressive end of the spectrum to keep everything honest. Yeah, agreed. So I, I don't think that it would be unreasonable to just do exactly what you were suggesting and just go. Like here, here's your legal cards for characters. Any battle card, have at it. Give me your best shot. Yep. So we'll go with that. I'm going to take Scott's answer. I'm going to lean over his shoulder and uh, get the answers from uh, questions one to ten, and we'll go from there. So this is. It might be longer than our other show, so we're going to wrap it up <laughs> at this stage. Uh, those other questions, Scott, we'll definitely hold on to for next time. So again, if if you would like to. Submit some questions. Definitely reach out to us. Contact information and all that fun stuff will be in the show notes. Uh, any other closing thoughts, Scott, before we close up and start cracking packs in a couple days? Well, a day? <laughs> no, I mean, by the time you hear this, just know that there'll be a full slate of videos and articles. Uh, more educated, I guess you could say, now after we've had like a at least one giant playtesting session that we're doing on Saturday. So... Um, definitely stay tuned to the YouTube t- page as well as the, the main website for articles uh, over the next week. Yep. And two or two. Well, that'll, I'm, I don't have anything else to add. So I appreciate everybody that's watching everybody that's listening, check out the stuff in the show notes so that you can find us and uh, check out the other content that Scott was referencing and that'll kind of do it for us. So tune in next time for more randoms thoughts.